We're going through Matthew's Gospel, and we are on Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. It's a simple passage, but it's powerful. It's been working on me all week, and I pray to, pray to the Lord this morning that it would work on you as well, that we would all be blessed by it. That's uh, Matthew 18, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 9, Matthew 18. You know, I'm going to read up to verse 14, but we're not going to cover that much this morning, just so you get the context. Let's stand together for the reading of God's holy and errant word. Hear the word of God to you this morning. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called the little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large milestone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, Will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he's happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Ascends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May he bless it to our lives this morning. Please be seated. My brothers and sisters in Christ, anyone who's ever tried to initiate a conversation about spiritual matters with folks, especially about the condition of their soul, uh, we know just how disinterested the masses seem to be, right? The conversation kind of changes real quick or things get heated. Um, It's not an easy thing. Maybe when you came in this morning, you weren't so concerned with the kingdom of heaven. I don't know. We're all in different places. But listen, when you attend funerals, it's interesting. Everybody all of a sudden wants to talk about heaven. You ever notice that? I mean, I notice people that never wanted to talk about heaven before, they're coming up to me and they're talking about heaven. I'm like, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Of course, the fatal error they are making in many cases is that they assume that everyone goes to heaven when they die, or at least they think, well, most people, as long as you don't kill nobody, right, they'll go to heaven. 
But we know that's a fatal error because the Bible talks about this. This is what the Bible says. We're going to see it this morning. The Bible says you must enter the kingdom of heaven now if you want to be sure to enter the kingdom of heaven after you die. You with me? (laughs) That's the important thing to know. And the beauty of that is we can be assured that if through Christ we enter the kingdom now, we could be assured Jesus promised us we will enter into heaven then. That's the good news. And as we come to the fourth of five major discourses in Matthew's gospel, this is the fourth uh, long teaching of Jesus we have in Matthew's gospel, we're going to see that Jesus addresses these things, entering the kingdom, life in the kingdom, and he talks about even more than that. He'll be talking to us about entering in the kingdom, greatness in the kingdom, basically how to live in the kingdom. He's going to talk about how we are to welcome other people in the kingdom. And he's also going to be talking about being very careful that we don't prevent people, that we don't cause a stumbling block for those people trying to come in. And then we won't get to it this morning. We're going to pick up next week. He's going to talk about we're not even going to be satisfied with that. We're going to go and find those lost sheep and bring them into the kingdom. But what we're going to stick with this morning, you'll be thankful. Because you don't want to, like, uh, I'll preach so long that, you, you know, you fall asleep, fall out the window, we'll have to resurrect you. We don't want that this morning. Uh, haven't tried that gift yet, so we don't, we don't want But no, I'm going to keep it simple this morning. I'm going to focus. And what we're going to see is this. We must humble ourselves to enter in the kingdom in order to live life in the kingdom and to help others to do the same. I'll repeat it. We need to humble ourselves to enter the kingdom, to live in the kingdom, and then to welcome others into the kingdom. That's what we're going to see. Two main points. Only the humble will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's the first thing. Jesus says it, not me. And the second thing we're going to see is only the humble will therefore welcome other humble people into the kingdom. I'll open that up for you in case you're a little confused. Let's take a look at the first one. Only the humble will enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 1. At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Excuse me one second. Guys, girls, your only warning, please. All right? Grazie. At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called the little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, we don't know what precipitated exactly. The Bible doesn't come out and tell us plainly why they were talking amongst themselves about who's the greatest, but we could do a little conjecture. We know so far in the book of Matthew, at times, Jesus would take only Peter, James, and John. Right? He kinda, and he would just take those three away, and they got to witness things that the rest of the twelve didn't get to see. So there, when he was transfigured on the mountain, the rest of them were left down there arguing with the Pharisees. Remember that last time. And then on top of that, sometimes it seemed like Peter got special treatment because it would be only him and Jesus. You get it? And just in our passage before, Jesus just said something really cool to Peter when they were asked, does your, does your uh, teacher pay the temple tax? Um, Jesus said to, to Peter, asked him a question, and he said, who, who, pay, who do the kings of the earth charge taxes to? The sons or to up from others? And Peter rightly said, from others. And then Jesus said this wonderful thing to Peter. He said, 
but that they won't be offended, Peter. Go and catch a fish. You'll find the, the drachma, the, the coin in its mouth, and pay my tax and your tax so they won't be offended. So basically why I say that, Jesus was including Peter as one of the free sons of the kingdom, right? That had a right of a child and of a, a child of the king. So you can imagine how, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, God encourages us for our good and for our assurance. And what do we end up doing as sinners? We end up taking that sometimes and we twist it around to this discussion of, well, I think I might have a greater place. And then maybe James and John said, now, wait a minute, you know, we were at the transfiguration too. And the other guy said, oh, so what are we, chopped liver? We're not going to have a special spot? We, you know, and so this discussion happens. That's my take on it. But no matter what led them to ask Jesus the question, we do know in the text they were very concerned about their status. You got that? They were concerned about what position am I going to have in the kingdom? They wanted to know what position on the dream team. Remember that when we, in the Olympics when we had all the guys, the great guys from the NBA, that, and, you know, who's, what position am I going to have on the dream team? And this is what Jesus does. It's a very strong strong words here he basically says stop worrying about what position on the dream team you're going to be and make sure you make the team you with me he's saying you should just make sure you get on the team and be thankful for that that's what he's saying because notice they're saying who's the greatest and jesus says you can't even enter unless you humble yourself like one of these children. You've got to leave all that mess behind, that pride, that worrying about status, worrying about position, who's better, who's worse, who's stronger, who's holier. And he brings this child among them as an object lesson. And he basically says you have to change your attitudes, change your mind, change your heart. The only way to enter the kingdom of heaven is to be like this child. Now, again, I've got to stop a moment. Because a lot of nonsense is written at this point and spoken of. Jesus is not saying you have to be innocent. Those of us who are parents know for a fact that ain't what he's saying. Because we know kids aren't innocent. And I remember there's this pastor from Scotland, and he was, uh, Eric Alexander, he was telling this story. I have to mention it because I thought it was funny. He went over to his buddy's house, and he said he just had this most beautiful little girl. And she was playing around their feet, and he said, what a, what a beautiful. And, and he said to his, um, his friend, do you still believe in original sin? Like, you know, how beautiful this girl is. And he goes, oh, I sure do, because her sin can be very original. And it, it's, we know that. Our kids are like us. That we were made of this cup of the same cloth. The Bible tells us from sin the time my mother conceived me. So Jesus is not saying be like a little child because they, they have no sin. They're innocent. So then what is he saying? I think he's making, a, a, making it very clear that children, especially back then, had no rights. They had no privileges. They had no standing in social society. And even today, we overlook kids. We walk right by kids. or They're not anybody important, right? They have no status. They have no standing commentators Jackman and Philip they wrote a commentary together and they put it this way I thought they put it very nicely they have asked him a question about status and he confers on them the status of a child which in Jewish terms meant no status at all 
That is the way into the kingdom. It is for the spiritually bankrupt. Isn't that powerful? The way to enter the kingdom is to say, I got nothing to offer. I don't, you know, the, whole, the old hymn, nothing in my hands I bring. As little children, they're complete nobodies in the world's eyes. And they rely completely on others, right? And that's what Jesus is saying. You need to rely completely on me, completely on God. You know, it was interesting, uh, little Caleb, I have a son, old Caleb, too, so it's always funny to Caleb, Caleb, but little Caleb, last Wednesday at prayer, after prayer meeting, he, he followed me upstairs, and then on the way down, we, we were ready to go down, he just, he, he wouldn't go downstairs, and I'm like, what's going on? And then he just puts his hand up, and I thought as I'm preparing for this text, he was totally dependent on me because he was to go down the stairs. And that's what Jesus is saying. To enter the kingdom, you have to put your hand out empty and just say, take me, Jesus, as I am. I'm totally dependent on you. I'm not getting in unless you bring me in. That's how we enter the kingdom. Dr. Doriani puts it this way. We must humble ourselves enough to admit our need of God's redemption. Far from asking who is the greatest in the kingdom, we should seek God's unmerited love with childlike simplicity, leading with our need, not our merit. How often in life, it's always about our place in society. How many DDs we had before or after our name. Oh, this person's important because, and then you list a list of things. Well, you knew the illustration about Italy was going to come in here somewhere. In Italy... There are these really cool grottos, in other words, caves. And particularly in Capri, which I didn't go to. It was a little expensive. But as another story. In Capri, they have these grottos. And once you, you go in them, the water is so bl- deep blue, it's almost fluorescent. Absolutely breathtaking, beautiful. But here's why I tell you this. It's interesting. The only way to get in is by a small boat. And to get through that real low entrance, everybody has to lay flat like this on the boat. If you don't bow low, you'll never get in. It's a perfect illustration for what Jesus is saying here. In order to get, get into the kingdom, you must humble yourself. You must bow to get in. Let everything else go. Your, any supposed status. You know, like Paul said, whatever was my gain, I consider it all loss. I consider it rubbish. He used stronger language than that. We won't use it this morning. But that's what I consider it, he said, that I might gain Christ. got to leave our status leave our pride leave all our standing all of our privileges behind be complete nobodies and be content with this here's the here's the 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 the, uh, status we all have if we come to jesus child of god and that's enough isn't it that's what peter had to be excited about that he was included as a child and not argue with his fellows who was the greatest Jesus said earlier in his ministry, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you because they thought they were something because they were, uh, had the power to cast out demons. And they came back saying, hey, Jesus. And he said, don't rejoice about that. Rejoice what? That your name is written in the book. That was the important thing. Now listen, we, uh, 
when my brother, my brother told me that, this is the first time I heard this story. Uh, my brother told me, my brother played high school football, and my dad came to one of his games. He wasn't always able to come, but he came to this one game, and my brother was a, a, a tight end, a receiver. And he actually caught a pass, and he got into the end zone, made a touchdown, and he did the whole, the dancing, the, the celebration. And he looked over at my dad, thinking my dad was going to be going like this. And what he saw from my dad was a shock. He saw this. And when he got home, my dad explained, that's not what it's all about, son. It's about being part of the team. It's about furthering the team's goals, not being a showboat. It ain't about you. And that's what the disciples have to, had to learn, and that's what we have to learn. It's not about us. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about lifting up the name of Jesus. Who you are is irrelevant. And I know uh, I have a buddy who is a musician. He's played with a lot of famous musicians. I won't give you the list. And um, we were sitting down together, and he said to me, brother, because he's also a believer, praise the Lord. He said, I'm just glad I got a place at the table. Real humble guy. And you know, brothers and sisters, if you know Jesus, if you're in the kingdom, you should just be so deeply thankful you got a place at the table. That should be enough for you. I don't, I don't care where you sit me. Just sit me at Jesus' table. I'm happy. Who gets the head? That's basically they're saying, who gets the head? Well, it's not only the way to enter the kingdom through humbly coming with nothing in your hand and clinging to Christ. It's also the way to become great in the kingdom. If you want to talk about greatness, if you want to talk about living in the kingdom, look at what Jesus says here. He says this, verse 4, Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Listen, here's, you, want to, you want to be great in the kingdom? Jesus says the way up to advance is what? Down. You remember that? I'll give you that quick illustration. John chapter 13. Everybody's feet are filthy. In those days you walked around in the desert with open sandals, open toes. You're going to eat dinner. And they used to sit, recline at the table so people's feet would be next. To, so they needed a good washing. And you remember, and again, here are the disciples. I ain't doing it. Because if I do it, then I'm going to look lower. Than, then that means I'm the lowest on the total pole, you know? And so Jesus does something. You remember what he does. Takes out, out his outer garment, outer garment. He grabs a towel and a basin, and he starts washing their feet. And they're all embarrassed, right? Like Peter says, no, you're not going to do this to me. And Jesus says, unless you let me do this, you don't have a place. Oh, then my head and my body. You know, Peter, man, he's good old Pete. But the point here, the greatest among us, though he was God, what Paul says, he did not consider it something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, and gave up his life for his people. We want to go up and get to Washington. Be the one who's willing to break from the crowd and start serving humbly with no name, no credit. I always think, when I look at how different, when I look at how local churches run, and I think of different churches I've been in in the, in the past, I always look at those people who nobody hardly knows their name, you know, who always stay late and clean, always prepare the coffee, always take care of the kids, 
And they don't have a name. They don't have a position. They don't stand up in the front. They don't have the 30th anniversary party for the nursery worker. But in heaven, who's going to be the greatest? You tell me. Who's the one going to be sitting right next to Jesus? That's the way of greatness. And the second and last point for this morning is that only the humble will welcome others into the kingdom. Look at verse 5. Jesus all of a sudden switches the hinge a little bit here. Whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. This is what Jesus is saying. Think about this. In order to enter the kingdom, you had to humble, humble yourself. You would acknowledge that you're a nobody, that you're, you have a, a desperate need for Jesus, that you're not righteous in and of yourself that your status in this world means nothing in the kingdom. So think about that. Who of all people should then receive other nobodies? Pretty easily. Because <laughs> right? if you're a nobody, and a fellow nobody says, hey, can I come in? I need Jesus. You're going to be like, hey, this place welcomes you because join the club. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans twelve sixteen. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. See, when you recognize that you're just a humble child of God, glad to have a place at his table by his grace, then it's much easier to welcome other nobodies of the world. Now here I want to make a point because you may miss this. And I had to wrestle with it a little bit. Jesus does start off talking about literal children. And many of the things he's talking about in this text certainly apply to children. We don't want to cause them to stumble. We need to honor them. We need to welcome them. Amen. But I believe the text bears out he's talking about humble believers in Christ. Those are the children he's talking about here. Like he prayed earlier in Matthew 11, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to who? Little children referring to his disciples. And here in this text, he clearly says, he who causes one of these little ones who what? Believe in me to sin, right? So it's both, but it's, it's including just those who are humble nobodies who come to Jesus like children. Because that's how Jesus starts. You need to become what? Like this little child. You do. No matter if you're 50 or 70 or 20. And that's an interesting thing he says here. Whoever welcomes one of these little ones in my name, guess what? They welcome who? Me. I could preach a whole sermon on that. Is Jesus welcome in your church? Because when someone comes humbly and wants to be a part of the fellowship and wants to know Jesus, when, when you make it difficult for them because they're not the right status, because they're not laughing at your jokes. Because they're not a part of your culture. You're leaving Jesus in the cold. This is his church. This ain't your church. It ain't my church. You know, people always say, how's your church doing? You know, as a pastor, you're like, ooh, I don't have a church. That's Jesus' church. I know what you're saying, but it ain't mine. I'm just, again, I'm happy to be a part of it and a place to serve in it. Martin Luther, the reformer, he served a congregation that had rich and poor. He had those who were somebodies in society, some, those who were of no importance in his day. And he once said this. I, always, I remember this from years and years ago I heard this. He said this. When I preach, 
I pay attention neither to doctors nor magistrates, of whom I have above 40 in my congregation. Instead, I have all my eyes on the servant maids and on their children. And if the learned men are not well pleased with what they hear, well, the door is open. (laughs) Right? If you're so sophisticated that when I preach, preach a simple gospel, you're offended. Believe me, as much as I want you here, this church is for nobodies. And you've got to join us. We're called to preach the gospel, to make God's word plain, not to entertain folks, not to be profound, but to simply explain his word. And if the simplicity offends the high and the mighty, then so be it. We welcome needy sinners. Come. Come. Don't wait until you're better because you'll never come at all, like the song says. What are you waiting on? When I was a new believer and I was gathering folks around and have Bible study and reaching out, started building new friends because my old friends, well, I love them and all, but we got in trouble together. You know where I'm coming from. So I started having some new friends. And my mother, I never forget what my mother said to me. This is so funny. She goes, Sam, don't you have any normal friends? <laughs> That's what she literally said. And my wife likes to tease. She likes to say, well, here in New City, we're misfit fellowship." And to that, I've got to say amen. You m- remember, what was it, the land of, uh, uh, what was it, misfit toys? I always loved that. It's like, yeah, that, that, that's, that sounds about right, right? And in case you think I'm just being sentimental, I'm going to read one cross-reference from the Apostle Paul. Speaking to the Corinthian Christians, he said this. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. It's because of Him, Paul adds, that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Hallelujah. If we're to welcome, Jesus adds this too, then on the, on, conversely, if we're to welcome them, we've got to make sure we don't put a stumbling block in their way when they want to come. And that's in verse 6. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large milestone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. There's no sentimentality there, is there? Nothing cutesy about that. And here's the, there's a twofold thing I want to bring up. We need to make sure we don't cause them to stumble by making too many uh, stumbling blocks in order for them to come into the fellowship but we especially have to make sure that by our behavior and the way we live we don't cause them to follow suit and walk away from god through our sinful example jesus says you know what if you live like that and that's the way it's going to be it'd be better for you if you were on the bottom of the sea in other words you're going to have to answer to me you're going to wish you were on the bottom of the sea See, here's the thing. Nobody sins in a vacuum. We think we get away with it. We think we secretly sin. We affect others. 
And when it comes to affecting people trying to get into the kingdom, Jesus takes it very personal. That's what he's saying. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Then Jesus says, such things must come. But woe to the man through whom they come. I'm almost done this morning, but I, I can't end without saying this. Last few verses that, that are pretty strong here in this text. We live in a world where a lot of us spend a lot of time on Facebook and other social outlets, social media outlets and other things. I'm certainly one of the most guilty. Um, it has its good points and it has its bad points, as we could share, right? Pros and cons. But one of the things I've noticed, I haven't been on Facebook for quite a while, is how all my friends, including myself sometimes, we love preaching against everybody else's sins. You ever notice that? This guy is wrong. This guy is bad. Look at this article. Look at Every, They all got to get straight. The world would be awesome if everybody else got straight. Amen? If you all would stop being racist, that would be awesome. But that's not what Jesus does here. Jesus turns it on, on us. Jesus says, I want you to deal brutally with sin. Amen. I want you to deal brutally with your sin. That's what he's going to talk about here. He, he's not telling you to worry about the speck in your brother's eye right here. He's talking about you got this plank. Look, he says this. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet or be thrown into eternal fire. And he goes on in that. Strong language. Obviously, I hardly need to say he's not speaking literally because the disciples would have, after, you know, they would have been walking around like this. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying that's how seriously you should take it. This is a real thing. It's not to be trifled with. I think about that example of uh, there was a raccoon, and sometimes pe- we, we do silly things as humans. We try to make them a pet. You know, there's a guy who tried to make a raccoon a pet. Oh, look, it's so, like, friendly. It ain't going to hurt me. Well, what they fail to realize is there's a point in, in a, uh, the growth of a raccoon that all of a sudden they go through this glandular change, and all of a sudden you won't recognize it. little kitchy goo anymore. And that's the way sin is, right? Sin at first, we're like, ooh, pretty. And then all of a sudden it turns around and it consumes us. You with me? And so there was a, believe it or not, good old faithful Matthew Henry. Ever hear his name? He's an old commentator. Boy, he was an old guy. But he said this, and this really, I, I, I read this when I was a new believer, and here I am years later saying this is still the best I've ever heard on this passage. Real short, listen with me. He says, It is not unbecoming of a minister of the gospel to preach of hell and damnation. Nay, he must do it, for Christ himself did it. And we are unfaithful to our trust if we give not warning of the wrath to come. Now here's the the really particular thing I thought was really good. There are some sins from which we need to be saved with fear, particularly fleshly lusts, which are such natural brute beasts as cannot be checked but by being frightened. In other words, there are some sins that are so deeply ingrained in us that unless we get scared, we ain't got to stop. That's kind of a rough street way of what he's saying. 
And that's what Jesus is saying too. Sometimes we got to get sober, right? We got to see the seriousness of it. And that's what Jesus is doing here. So we need to enter like a, ch- like a child, humbly. We need to live as a child. We need to receive other of God's children coming in humbly. We need to make sure we don't cause them to stumble. We've got to deal ruthlessly with our own s- sin. And I'm going to close with this. The good news is this. And we'll go on next week. We're going to pick it up where we're ending now. God loves us so much that it's not His will that even one of these little ones be lost. There's more joy in heaven over the one sinner that comes back than the 99 that didn't need to repent. And so the good news is you are so valuable to God. You're not worthy, but you're of worth. So much so, that Jesus made the way and showed us the way, even though He's God Himself. He bowed low to the point of a servant. He didn't just wash our feet, but He died in our place. Amen? So that we could. I hope I go to heaven before you do, Pete, because you're a young guy. But I'll be able to say, knowing that He trusted in Jesus... I know he's in a better place. Amen? Amen. And God will we'll be able to say that about each other here if we put our trust not in our own works. We turn from our sins and cling to that humble servant who became one of us for our sake and died and rose. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this message. It's a, a good wake-up call on so many fronts. We do thank you that you receive us as sons and daughters with all the full rights when we come humbly, not comparing ourselves with others, not bringing any of that mess of pride or status, but being willing to, be, to carry the label child of God, simple child of God. Lord, help us to live humbly as your people. Help us to welcome those who want to come in and not put the stumbling block there. And Lord, we pray that we would fight a lot harder against our own sins than the sins of others, even when you call us to call out those who are doing wrong. So be with us to this end, Lord Jesus, that you would get the glory, that many more would would be brought home, Lord, of your lost sheep in our day and in our places where we live and throughout the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday Sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santa Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New City's Sunday Sermon.